0: I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN, and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today, April 25th, our Cloud 2030 discussion was about security, specifically around data security zero trust, data mesh, shared uh, homomorphic security. If those terms mean something to you, you will find our conversation fascinating. And if they don't, you better be listening because these are really important concepts that come together for how we will secure data in the future. And we really believe that these are transformative technologies uh, that challenge the current status quo. So enjoy the conversation and we're looking forward to having more data security discussions in the future
1: people say zero trust and think it's a panacea um yeah it's it's not it's you have you have to think holistically about your cybersecurity strategy and um you can't lock everything up right right it's just impossible there's always there Nobody has invented a lock that cannot be compromised. Um, so you have to do things like, okay, so let's encrypt and lock down on blockchain our our uh, security logs so that um, you know, <laughs> when the intrusion happens because it will happen sooner or later, right? You make it difficult enough for, um for the intruders to not be able to cover their tracks right so it's 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 like a mm-hmm. war right there's lots of different fronts so you build fortifications at different points because you know that you the attackers are going to be able to penetrate but you have to be able to remediate the breaches when they occur and b- because th- I T systems and, and digital systems in general have to talk to each other, right? I mean, if you the
0: the question is is uh, you know forcing people to use the front door so you can screen them from a security perspective, right? Knowing knowing that something's been happening so you can find out that it, you know there's there's a couple of basics in that,
1: but you're right. Uh, yeah, so per, perimeter security doesn't go away. That's your perimeter. You you should. Right but and and then once you get in there you need to have methods for security so to me that's zero trust right zero trust is is not depending on just perimeter security but you know what do you do with um, uh, a microservices architecture right so. <laughs> About us, accounts, talk about a lot, right? of, a lot of
0: access points,
1: yeah. You have all these access points, right? You, you know, so...
0: Wait, wait, I, I, somebody told me, we were talking last, the other day, service mesh answers all all of your access problems for a uh, microservices architecture.
1: Oh yeah, of course, right?
0: My, my tongue is firmly in my cheek.
1: Yeah, so anyway, I'll get off my high horse, but it's just kind of like, you can't just say, okay, zero trust.
0: We're done. It's how, so, how do you define? How would you dis- define zero trust? Like, I agree because I hear it tossed about well, casually. Rich, you have an idea.
2: Well, first of all, the well, I don't say that I, this is the the definition, but to uh, Tyler's point, perimeter security is just that—it's perimeter. Um, you've zero trust basically says any exposed surface is has got to be um subject to authentication and authorization is what it basically means and when you have microservices every one of those connections every one of those exposed services has to be uh administered or governed governable um, with a um, an authentication and authorization regimen, that would be zero trust.
1: Yeah, in I, other words, I agree with that, Rich. that's 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 my definition as well. Of course, what exactly. you've done is you've just moved the vulnerability from the microservice to the authentication system itself.
2: Exactly, but you know, don't we all know that at the end of the day? every problem comes down to something that at least looks like
0: DNS.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's the true. Every bug is a year 2000 bug.
2: Exactly. No, authentication and authorization, actually the two go hand in hand. They're not the same and they are the basis for zero trust, for anything built even resembling zero trust. And that includes, you know, its incorporation in service mesh, if in fact, there actually is such a thing. but um, And I, I would say that there I've seen a couple of implementations using service mesh architectures that actually do come pretty damn close to that. Um, but at the same time, as you just mentioned, you know, compromise your security logs, compromise the logs of pretty much any major piece part in a, in an IT estate, and you've got a security vulnerability that you have to address, um, basically comes down to what I really would want to do is cryptographically anchor my security. every every event that gets written to a security log or to a log period almost as quickly as I could possibly accomplish it. Well, that's potentially a pretty expensive proposition, but that's probably ultimately what some of the solutions are going to have to uh, rely on.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's, that's what I mean by looking at your cybersecurity holistically, you have to look at every element of the value chain. And that includes even looking at um, um, server supply chain hacking, where you've got the Chinese government putting network devices on server boards. So are you, where? where, where is the data being encrypted? So it, it, it should be, You know, I mean, at some point, I I remember reading somewhere where they were talking about being able to process encrypted data. I'm like, well, how the heck heck do you do that? How do you not unencrypt your data and and then
2: have? Actually, that's that's a that's a big topic. And it's one that actually some breakthroughs are happening. It's called, you know, falls under the the heading of homomorphic encryption. And um, there, up until now, homomorphic encryption has been so totally expensive as to be completely unusable. Yeah. But there are some there are some things that I've just seen in the last two weeks that makes me think uh, some some people have been out, whether they've cracked cracked the problem or not. They've basically taken a couple of orders of magnitude off the price of homomorphic encryption which makes me what think that, seen, that... hey if i just told everybody andrea you know <laughs> what no, would I my didn't... value be i thought it was maybe in a university or something because i heard about like no. what quantum computers are doing no this is not a quantum computer uh, approach i mean quantum computers are are interesting for an encryption and decryption. Homomorphic encryption is is kind of a a different beast. It's a group that actually is headquartered in France. Um, the two principles, one of them has a long history in um, in in encryption and homomorphic encryption in particular. The other is is uh, really fairly serious mathematician and it's open source and i'm blanking exactly on the name at the name of the website i will i will look it up while we're on and put it in the
1: chat yeah i was looking on on wikipedia of that
0: and maybe I'm, I'm missing why homomorphic encryption is such a, a win from a zero trust perspective.
2: The idea that one could actually share data and as long as you made it, uh, made it available for certain aspects of anal- analysis or computation, you don't have to reveal all of it. You literally are doing operations on the data while it remains encrypted. Oh, interesting. And you, you are, and basically, what you're saying is, all right, for this data, I am allowing it to be used for analytic purposes, for the um, for the purpose of uh, uh, developing a benchmark based on. The, the number of you know, number of transactions that of a certain kind that this insurance company may have done. The data is in there. You can count them. You can
1: filter them. Yeah, I can, the see, I can see that, Rich. There would be.
0: It's like um, there's a company near us. Uh, it's, it's HO's company. Yeah, there
1: here. would be some use cases no, where, where that would make sense.
2: You're talking about uh, molecular? Bingo. Yes. No, they're they're not doing they're not doing that kind of homomorph. They're not doing that kind of encryption. It's not there. They, yeah, it's not they encryption. Are, Let me. I'll I'll look it up while we're here. Okay. I'm, I'm out and about. If you can't tell,
0: so. I I uh, I actually I think I know exactly where you're sitting.
2: <laughs> yeah, you probably do. <laughs> and I will also. I'll also mute here in just a second so that uh, you don't I'm have to listen little, to the background noise.
1: A little jealous of uh,
2: California but, uh, so sunshine. So Rob, what was,
1: I don't know what the topic today was, but this is certainly an interesting one.
0: You know, friendly enough, it was security. <laughs> That's why I was, I was, I was playing out line because I, because you were, you were already on topic. So I was, I was interested, back um, to- I think.
1: You asked me what I was doing, and this is actually directly relevant. Um, Take the mic. So uh, Privop's Matrix is a data fabric, and we were working with a bank. The idea was to expose enterprise data to every employee in the company uh, to the maximum extent possible, creating Hmm. citizen, data scientists. So you, you always have that 2% of the sales guys that are enterprising. And, you know, if you gave them access to the customer data, they could do some pretty amazing stuff that you didn't even think of. Uh, But what we realized was that uh, their active directory was a mess. So until we could guarantee identity, and then be able to filter data based on identity, uh, we couldn't expose the data.
0: Interesting uh, dilemma. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Uh, so instead of you know using a ticketing system and building some processes on something like ConnectWise or ServiceNow, we uh, it was like okay, well we're we're just going to automate it. We're gonna we're gonna I've got a data fabric, right? So we'll ingest data from HR system. <laughs> management system and from accounting and we'll automate processes um, and, and that's called uh, ABAC for attribute based access control uh, so that became our first integration so instead of integrating the Salesforce data and filtering it so the loan officers could see all of their customer information the first thing we're doing is feeding Okta with uh HR accounting vendor data mapped to security groups roles and users. And um
0: oh. so is I mean isn't that bypassing Active Directory's role in this? And you're you're no, providing so a, the, a
1: more the, holistic so this so in the current in, in the traditional model, Active Directory is a system of record that defines the security group's roles and users and the mappings between those groups, Mm -hmm. between those different entities. Uh, And the new model, the HR system, the vendor management system and the accounting system are the systems of record for security groups, uh, users and roles. So when you onboard a new employee, the employee has a position code and that position code maps to a role within a security group and the security group maps to some organization or set of organizations in the HR org structure. Uh, so uh, the, the, in that model uh, AD also represents the permissions that are tied to those specific roles Uh, In the new model, the system of record becomes the other systems, the HR system, etc. And AD retains the role as system of record for the permissions attachment to the roles, but nothing else. Uh, So so what it does, it's actually a really powerful thing. Because you re- you eliminate tickets for onboarding, offboarding, termination, role changes, org changes, all of that, all of those tickets in IT go away, and and then uh, because the 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 initiation of the onboarding process, for example, is the HR representative inputting the new employee into the the HR SaaS system, right, and. Um, It's also super secure because uh, you're eliminating the zombie user, the vendor employee that came in to fix some system three years ago that nobody forgot to revoke the permissions from. Uh, You've also eliminated the zombie super users that Um, You know, our employees that bounce around the company to different roles and their permissions never get turned off, because those are those are two types of users, you can't allow if you're going to have citizen data scientists. Uh, But it. uh, But it's kind of interesting. I mean, so we're talking about doing the same thing for the US Air Force. They've got 47 different instances of Active Directory. And And 600,000 airmen, you know, 300,000 contractors across thousands of contracts. I mean, they're yeah. pro- they they need the automation because it, it can take that. If, if your average uh, airman is moving from job to job, from position or base to base every six months and it takes them a week to get permissions to do their new job, you've had a significant operational impact. Um, so th- that's kind of how we're positioning it is, is, is addressing the operational side of it. Um, but that's, so if, if you want to know what I'm working on, that's what I'm working on right now is, is that element. Uh, the act, not the, not the I, authentication, mind you, but the authorization the side, the access management side. Um, Because And then we were talking about, well, how does that intersect with zero trust, right? So then I start thinking, uh, well, I'll have separate zones for every base, I'll do encryption, I'll encrypt everything coming in, so encryption and transit, encryption at rest. you know, authentic multiple layers of authentication. We use you know Saml for authenticating micro the, the microservices microservices. Um, right. You know, but at the end of the day, it's still there's no way to make it a hundred percent secure. Yeah, so it's what, absolutely what, not. Yeah. So what what I would what, what I'm also going to propose is, is, is to have a blockchain based of all of the changes in the transactions. So Sorry, that, would you repeat that, Tyler? You're going to have a blockchain audit of what? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to store hashes of all the logs on blockchain. Right.
2: Oh. And at what point in this in the creation of the logs or input to the logs are you going to do this? Because if you're trying to do this on the fly, um, there's only one Solution I know of that's available commercially that would even come close to working on that. And uh, uh, actually, Rob, you know Val Bercovici. I do.
1: I was right? I was
0: assuming you
2: meant Pencil Data. Yeah.
1: So yeah, so, so yeah, Rich, that's exactly who I was thinking about yeah. pulling
2: chain in. Chain Kit, uh, Pencil yeah. Data. They no longer call themselves Pencil Data. It's Chain oh, Kit. That's right. But yeah. Exactly, yeah. so, and
1: Val, Val and I go back a long way. We were both at NetApp a decade ago.
2: <laughs> okay, so yeah, uh, they uh, I've looked at everything, and I, I've been an advisor to ChainKit since it started, and um, I, uh, I I think that what they've got in hand is really the kind of thing that's quite workable and yeah, really worth it. Worth the yeah,
1: Val, Val is, a, is a brilliant guy and we the, the use case I just mentioned, Val and I have actually discussed that so when we get to the point of doing it I'm going to absolutely pull him in the good, good, good
2: that, That's certainly part of the, the issue the the whole the whole ABAC RBAC kind of issue is the one that you really need to you know, kind of tear apart. Unpacking that one is going to be really tough.
1: Well, it's, so when you, when you think about what I described, where so where the systems of record uh, move, you're move you're changing the system of record from the authorization system to the uh, ingested data system of record the personnel databases, the contracts, databases, et cetera. But extend that model to uh, multi-domain operations where you, and this I'm really deep in the military use case, but this has total use cases on the commercial side too. But with multi-domain operations, you have air, land, sea, and ground and space and cyber for 32 member countries of the EU as well as the United States, Canada, and other allies when you're in the scenario as a combined coalition scenario. And this could be a kinetic war or it could be cybersecurity or whatever. But if you think about the principle of moving the system of record to the source and giving the control of what data feeds are fed in to the system of record owners now you've created a, a scenario where where different entities and a broader array are able to operate and be able to collaborate and share data yeah
2: you you really are talking about collaborative computing there and that is the primary that, that's the prize, that's the, that's the big prize for homomorphic encryption. The notion of multiple sources making available just enough information, um, not giving anywhere near the kind of access into their, sort, their own sources of information. Um, I did a bunch of work about five years ago, four years ago for um, CSIRO in Australia that has a, had a big project for partial homomorphic encryption and the application was basically a bunch of insurance companies in Australia that are obligated by government to benchmark the whole industry. But they're also obligated by a different set of rules not to expose uh, certain kinds of information to one another or to the public for in, in order to yeah, yeah. first of all, deal with collusion <laughs> and second, uh, deal with privacy. So this whole notion of, of collaborative computing is what you're describing. And what I think we're, we're kind of coming up on is some really interesting um, breakthroughs in some of that. And I'm trying to put together some materials on that. So maybe sometime in about two weeks or so. Um, And I'll I'll see what I can do to kind of point you in some of the directions that make sense.
1: Well, I, I think this is one of the areas that we're gonna see a lot of Innovation Absolutely. in the next ten years. So, if, if you want to ask what cloud twenty thirty looks like, this this kind of thing could lead to real information marketplaces, right? So, be- That's because if, if you can establish authorization in a distributed manner, and then apply things like metadata that that uh, yeah. uh, attributes of data like you know not just data lineage in the traditional medicine data sense (laughs) but things like the time value of the information uh the things like Mm, um uh,
2: you're 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 singing to the choir
1: yeah so that's what i've been that's
2: what i've been i've been beating my head for a long time
0: i want to step back because what you're describing to me is um really important and it's something I've been looking to from like an edge perspective, but I, you're, you, y'all are doing the first job I've seen describing and a, a low, what I, an edge, local data, data mart that includes the security components to establish a reasonable sharing of data from the edge. Cause right now all the edge models I've seen involve basically, you know, Authorizing and talking to databases in various clouds and then aggregating a the service. And that's not and, that's not a workable model from a latency or a security
2: perspective
0: or a transit right. perspective. So right. the, the model that the only model I can see working reasonably for the edge is that you have some shared data repository, everybody contributes to it, and then you can carve it up in a multi uh, I'll say user, but I think it's multi-vendor
2: manner yeah Yeah, people are people are starting to talk about something called a data mesh if you you've heard that term recently um the mechanisms whereby you can make it happen with the kind of security and latency issues that you're you know addressing those that you've just described still you know an exercise for the reader but um there's a lot of stuff going on there and i i i completely agree with tyler and with Peter that this is you know cracking this part of the problem the fundamental problem is going to be what makes the makes the difference between what we're doing now and and you know 2030 and edge compute
1: yeah, Ed, not exactly edge compute edge data this is exactly what i've been working on for the last 6 years it, it, call it a, a data mesh or a data fabric, or the, the, there's not, it's its new enough that it doesn't really have um, uh, language around it. Um, but like we were talking, like go back to the metadata concept, right? When, when you think about, you know, when people talk about metadata in, an, uh, um, in a traditional context, they're talking about things like lineage, um, Uh, you know, that sort of thing. But if you expand it to think of metadata as spatial and temporal locality of data objects relative to other data objects, like uh, the edge local model, right? That's one of the metadata elements that you would have to, you know, and then in in terms of the authorization of, uh, in different entities to access different data objects, so so th- that's also an element of it as well. Yeah, so, you're, you're
2: multiple sort the, the sources coming from different the, the ability, it's not just data lineage, it's data provenance and identifying and being able to basically rewind or go move back through time and unpack um, yep. a a composite data set that has been you know created from a variety of different sources it's it's like taking a a recipe for a cake putting all the ingredients together and then saying whoops use the wrong kind of cinnamon and basically kind of pulling it back out and that's you know,
1: the kind beauty of of moving the systems of record back to the sources, because now what you've done is you've created this data pipeline that you can recreate at different points in time for the source yeah. data. So and you it, can. It's you a can, whole different yes. level of, of uh, efficacy and being able yeah. to look at, at, at data at different points in time. I,
2: I didn't realize that that was the focus of what you were doing, because that, that is very much what. Um, Scott Hartzell and I have been working on for the last couple of years and why we created a, a company called Provenant, Provenant Data, which we're still in the throes of pulling piece parts together, but- um, But
1: yeah, that, that's exactly what I've been working on. Um, it, it came from, um, in, in 2014, I was building new VMware managed services at Rackspace. And the problem I had was I could launch maybe one new service a quarter and AWS could launch like 18 a quarter. (laughs) And the reason why it was so difficult to launch new services was all the technical debt, but not just that, but the fact that there were two dozen or more different operational systems that had to be incorporated in
2: the workflow.
1: So if you think about the process of self-provisioning, a user self-provisioning a virtual machine, you know, what, what is it? V-realize, you know, you go and log in into their work, their portal, you click a button, you provision a virtual machine, or you hit it with an API call. Sounds simple, right? But if you're a managed service provider, you've got to incorporate things like configure price quote tools, your product catalog, your service desk, your CM, your SOC, your NOC, your um, everything, right? So when when a customer needs help and they call you, your ops people need to have access permissions to get into a system, right? And it has to be... um, uh, compliant that with things like UK data sovereignty laws that, that, that I mean the the element of comp complexity. So you end up having 24 different boxes and the integrations look like this and none of the data models match. And you know, it's, it's just a nightmare and that this is why you don't see managed cloud or managed service providers getting much larger oh, than. Rex and why there's yeah. thousands, of thousands of them yeah. in the United States yeah. is because they don't have a method for doing the date, because this is operational data, but it's still data integration, right? Yeah. Year, yeah. But yeah.
0: Amazon doesn't do that any better. They, they just have a policy of delegating it to the customer. Yeah, that's Their right. responsibility model basically says, we don't we don't own that mess that's your that's your job or that's you can go back to rackspace and let rackspace own it for you yeah.
1: and that's why there's an opportunity for folks like there, there's
2: a short term right. there's a shorter term solution that basically generates metadata that's what being kind of a, a data set of metadata that can be interrogated can be rolled back it has content, you know, content addressability, time addressability, things like what you've just described, but it is short-term, it, it doesn't scale the way you would need to do to scale it, and what you're, what you're absolutely addressing is, is one of those key problems that, um, I think there, there are some ways to address parts of it, and you're mentioning the data regulation, the data sovereignty issues and everything from GDPR to, you know, HIPAA and every, all of that types of thing. Yeah, it's In, it's a, interestingly it's a to tough me, set of what problems. You, what you
0: described is actually what Bracken is solving. The, the what workflow do you mean? component. So the, the thing that we do, and we're getting, hearing from more and more customers that they get really excited about is that we've actually normalized the multi-API workflow process. Like more than anything else we're doing, what we've done is we've actually connected all those, we've made it possible to connect all those steps together into a consistent workflow. And then for the parts that can be standardized, all of it is infrastructure as code. So where you have a reusable component, you have a reusable component. Um, But that's a lot of what we've, what well, we've been, if you boiled all the Rackend stuff together, right? The reason why bare metal is so hard is because bare metal is a n-api process, best case. Most of our customers, it's a 20 API process to do it. For all the reasons t- uh, Tyler was describing. And so a, a lot of what we've realized the value proposition for rack Rackend is, actually building a workflow that can take you through a process in a flexible way. Um, and then, even more importantly, are you, are you
2: generating Are you generating them operational data that is then both kind of used for compliance and, and searchability and all these other things?
0: Yeah. There's a huge amount of, there's a huge amount of data that well, we, we throw off what we what we don't do at, at the moment is is provide the analysis services back still to,
2: still, there's too much to do actually connect I'm gonna, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to talk to you more about exactly what you mean in some of this yeah
1: I, I, it's I think I to me that we should have a deeper discussion about what each of us is working on
0: <laughs> yeah cool Wow. Another fantastic conversation um, about components in the changing data scape of cloud. Uh, Ones that really drive ownership and responsibility for data into a much more distributed model. And I think this is a key indication of how the cloud will transform from big monolithic service providers who own all the data or want to own all the data and infrastructure to a more distributed model. If you think that's the way things are gonna go, join us. Uh, That is what Cloud 2030 discussions are about at the2030.cloud. Looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put Uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of
2: building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.